Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of the Go Get Outside podcast. I am your host, Jason Milligan. This is our second episode, but it's kind of our first real episode. The last episode was just a short introduction to the show and an introduction to me. Today, we're going to have a sit-down conversation with Klaus Gerhardt. He is an instructor and canyoneer located in Los Angeles, California. He owns a company called Uber Adventures. They provide instruction for canyoneering, and he also manages the local meetup group, which allows opportunities for people to get out with other people and go canyoneering. Don't know what canyoneering is? Well, let me tell you. Canyoneering is a sport that's growing in popularity out here in the West. It's actually really boomed in the last few years. It basically involves traveling through a canyon. That might sound like hiking, and to a certain degree it is. The difference with canyoneering is that there are often drops, and you are often traveling through a water course, perhaps a flowing river. You may have to rappel down dry falls, waterfalls. These waterfalls may be 10 feet tall. They may be 300 feet tall. You may need to downclimb certain sections. You may need to jump certain sections. You may need to swim or deal with hydraulics, depending on the type of canyon you're going through. If it's still not really clear what that is, go to our website, gogetoutside.com. There is a video section, and in there, there's a five-minute video that explains what canyoneering is and has a lot of footage that will make it really clear what canyoneering is. Imagine a lot of you listening to this, though, may already know. You may already be a canyoneer. You may already know Klaus. You may have taken a class from Klaus. Well, today you get to find out how Klaus found out about canyoneering, why he liked it so much, and what made him decide to not only become an instructor, but start a business specifically around canyoneering. So without wasting much more time, I'm just gonna go ahead and get to the interview, so let's do that now. Klaus, and uh, I'm an outdoor enthusiast who has found that canyoneering is more of a passion than an activity, and I have found a way to make a living doing my passion. You are kind of like the de facto canyoneering instructor for Southern California area. Like as of a few years ago, there was a very small pool of people who did canyoneering, and now there is an enormous number of people who do canyoneering, and most of them have gotten instruction from you. Do you want to talk about how that came about? I started a meetup group for canyoneering in Southern California called Canyoneering California. We are very far away from Utah. The community was small. I wanted to find them so that we could, so I would have partners to play with. And um, it grew very quickly. Immensely. <laughs> into people finding me and me finding people turned into a place where there, were, there weren't enough opportunities to go safely. So training became something that I brought to the meetup group. And the meetup group people were happy that training was being offered locally. More often than not, people I meet doing canyoneering have been trained by you. And so the, the interesting thing about that is I remember when I first met you a few years ago, you had mentioned that you had only been doing this at that point or anything outdoors for a few years. Like you, you're one of those guys kind of like me who a little bit later in life decided, Hey, I've never done this stuff. Let me give it a try. 
And now it's kind of totally changed your life. Like it, it's basically what your life revolves around now, right? Yeah. So how did that happen? I was, I guess it was about five years ago, six years ago. I was, um, uh, I realized one day that my life was cons uh, consisted of work, coming home, sitting in front of the TV, eating my dinner until I fell asleep. I would sit in front of the TV for six hours a day. And you saw a lot of really good TV shows of that, right? They were amazing, Holy right? Smokes. Netflix was awesome. <laughs> I could see a whole season in one night. I decided that I didn't like that. I was getting fatter and fatter and I was very bored and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided I needed to do something that got me out of the house. Um, if it was a little bit physical, I thought it would be good. So I joined a bowling league. <laughs> that, that's not where I thought this story would begin. So what, what was your what was your best score? My average was 140, but I was only... So you were the best bowler on the team, is what you're saying. I hated the community of bowling because now instead of sitting at home and having, you know, a decent meal in front of a television... I was having nachos and beer every Monday night. And occasionally hot dogs and beer. <laughs> hot dog, <but> a, <laughs> that was your protein. All the healthy food a bowling alley serves. And it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I only did it for a couple of months, I think, and gave up my spot in the league for to, for someone else, to someone else. And they, and they were so sad to see you go because, <laughs> because you were bringing their scores up so much. That's okay. 140 for me would be like my most amazing bowling ever, so... If that was your average, you're definitely better than I ever have been at bowling. Yeah, it could have been a little bit of luck. <laughs> Did you have bumpers when you played? Is that, what, <laughs> is that what was going on? No, I actually bowled one-handed. <laughs> I didn't right. use both hands. Bowl. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. That's, that's how she didn't do the basketball granny shot. Nope. All right, well, well, you're almost a pro then. Yeah. And so that didn't work out. Uh, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. So I did a Google search online for a hiking club. And I found one and um, joined. And I went on one of their hiking camping outings. And it was to Yosemite. Spending the night in Curry Village, hiking the Panorama Trail, hiking down the Mist Trail, you know, being almost attacked by a bear at camp at night. Um, it was amazing. Right? Especially being attacked by a bear. That was really cool. <laughs> um, not at the time. That was, that was the first time you've ever been to Yosemite? Um, first time that I can remember. I might have been there when I was little. But uh, first time that I can remember, and it was an eye-opener. I'm like, wow, I had no idea this kind of beauty existed, and it was accessible to me. So it was amazing. The next thing I did with this group was a um, nine national parks and monuments in Utah in seven days. So it was a caravan where I got to see Zion. Nine and seven days? So that was two a day sometimes. <laughs> it was. So we spent one night in Zion, one night in Canyonlands, and one night in around Arches. And everything else was seeing Cedar Breaks and Bryce in the same day. And then seeing um, Bridges and Arches the same day and Canyonlands and Zion. All you know. So we got to see all of the things in this big loop. And I fell in love with Utah. Had no idea I could go canyoneering still, but that was the second thing I did outside, camping for a week in a caravan in Utah. It's funny because a lot of a lot of the elements of your story kind of mirror my own. First time I went to Yosemite, 
It was, it was the same kind of experience where I had never, ever seen anything in my life like that place. And since then, I've often said, if you're talking to someone and they don't understand the reason for land conservation, take them there, drive through the tunnel view, let them stare. Don't say anything. If they don't get it, nothing you say will ever change their mind. And that, that's how I've felt about Yosemite ever since. And then Utah was the same thing. I first went there because I found out about the Narrows in one of those booklet, in those books like life experiences or great adventures. And I was like, this place sounds great. So I went there specifically to do that. Prior to that, I had no idea that Utah was a place I ever cared to go to. And then suddenly I realized Utah is a place to go to all the time. It has so many amazing experiences and views. So sorry to run that tangent, but yeah, it's, it's funny to see how much those mirror in a lot of ways. I think that's probably true for a lot of people in this region as well. Yep. Utah ends up, turns out to be my favorite place, whether it had canyons or not. So you went on this trip that brought you through nine landmarks in a week. Right. So you ran through a couple of them. Yeah. And then what? We spent lunch in one. That was it, right? <laughs> <laughs> lunch and bridges under a bridge. And that was it. <laughs> it was enough time to see a really large chuckwalla or something. Right. Really. We got to drive through. I mean, a driving tour is what a lot of people, that's all they do. Right. Right. So we got to drive through some pretty amazing country. Um, and uh, after that, the I became the vice president of outings for that hiking group. Within a month of my two trips, I was the vice president of outings for the Los Angeles chapter. I put together a ton of outings for this organization that was only doing a few a year. I was doing one a month for them. I, I set up cross-country skiing in Yosemite and Grand Canyon and, and, um, and um, kayaking, Black Canyon, canoeing, Topot Gorge, all this cool stuff that they weren't... Uh, tubing the King's River, you know, things that they weren't doing. They were just going camping and having a campfire and drinking, you know, booze around the campfire. It's funny, a lot of those clubs are drinking clubs, yeah. masquerading as <laughs> outdoor clubs. Yeah, and telling stories and hanging out, but, which is fun. I, I'm not saying, but that's not all it's it not should what you be were for me. For. Right. Exactly. And uh, so within a year, I was the uh, uh, elected the corporate chair of all five chapters of this organization and started to put forth new programs and they didn't want them. I was trying to increase membership, um, increase the physical challenge of our outings and the diversity of the things we were offering. And they had no interest. They're like, we like us just like we are. We've been here for 30 years and we like what we're doing. And unfortunately, most of their members had joined 30 years ago and were they, weren't, they weren't getting new members. Right. So much and like they it. were dying. I mean, we, I was, oh they were, they were old and dying and, and I thought of bringing in new blood and new outreach and stuff like that. And they were not interested. So I joined Sierra club and I took a class from them called the wilderness travel course that uh, was a 10 week program on basic mountaineering taught map and compass navigation and stuff like that. I was one of the few people that aced their test and they asked me to uh, come back the next year for, to teach it. So I did. And so that's kind of how you got the teacher bug. Exactly. That was the first thing I actually got to teach in regards to outdoor adventure sports. They, uh, to become a leader with Sierra Club, you had to have um, some wilderness first aid and you had to have some um, environmental awareness classes. They really didn't give you guidelines of how to get that sort of thing. You could just take a geology walk in 
in uh, Joshua Tree, and that con was considered environmental awareness, right? And so I'm kind of an overachiever, and I went and got a Leave No Trace Master Educator certification, which was you know a five day course in uh, Utah, and uh, and I instead of becoming a wilderness first aid. Um, a graduate, I went and became a wilderness first responder, which is an 80-hour course. They only required 16 hours. Yeah, that lasts, that's like a week long or something, right? Or 10 days or something 10 like days, that? 80 hours, yeah. And I went to Grand Canyon to get my certification. So kind of getting two birds with one stone certification and get to play in the Grand Canyon for 10 days. Every time I met an instructor, my wilderness first responder instructor, my my basic mountaineering instructors, they they had such cool ideas of the outdoors. You know, they lived them. They wanted to be out there. They adjusted their work schedule to their play schedule. And, and it was every time I met one, I wanted to know what kind of other training they had. And I kind of got addicted to outdoor training. And somebody said, oh, you should try technical rope rescue. You'd love that. Someone else said, oh, you should try swift water rescue. Someone else said, hey, you should uh, take a whitewater raft guiding course. And uh, so I did it all. And uh, so, so, so tell the truth. Do you have a spreadsheet locked away somewhere where you have every sort of certification listed? And then if you have it, and if not, you've got it on a calendar somewhere to get it. So I can't find any more courses. I'm, I scour the internet looking for more trainings. And my... What about dog sledding? Have you got that one yet? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is that a sport? I think I think it is. Probably. You've got the Iditarod and all these other things. Oh, uh, yeah. It's you know, got to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, I prefer the desert now. <laughs> um, somebody finally said, hey, you should look at canyoneering. Right? And you're like, oh, I bet there are a lot of certifications I can collect like Pokemon there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I became addicted to getting certified in everything. <laughs> and uh, I even joke now in classes that, I'm, that I collect certifications right? that I never use. Um, What's your I, least useful certification you have right now? Least useful certification? Is there one? Is Tactical there one? Rappel Master. <laughs> is, that, is, is that for like SWAT teams or yeah, something? I okay. trained with a SWAT team in a, in a multi-jurisdictional jurisdictional task force in Texas. And yeah. Anything of value come out of that that you think you'll use at all? <clears throat> Nothing that I'll that I use on a daily basis, but um, things that I find exciting and interesting enough that I might put together a, a, a program where people get to Aussie repel or inverted repel or, or tie knots blindfolded or have little contests of that sort of thing. The, the interesting stuff I took away from it. And if you're ever under, under if you're ever <laughs> gunfire, then, then you'll, be, you'll be safe. You'll know how to respond. Exactly. Okay, so you, so you found out about canyoneering, and then you started chasing those certifications. And I dropped everything else. So that was the thing. That, that was when it. you found that one, you're like, okay, this is the one I really like. Yep. Very shortly after taking a couple of canyoneering courses and doing some canyons, um, uh, I had also realized that every sport that I wanted to pursue had an enormous amount of gear needed to do it. You know, if I wanted to get into kayaking, if I wanted to get into whitewater rafting and, you know, and mountaineering versus, you know, just backpacking in the desert, it's completely different gear. And I was going broke buying all the gear for every sport that I might get to do once or twice a year. So I focused, you know, I focused on my favorite and it wasn't hard. Do you have any idea what it was about that one in particular that spoke to you more than the other activities you tried? 
I think one of the things was because of how obscure it was. And, um, and then you threw that away yeah, by teaching everyone so much in for LA. that. <laughs> yeah. In relation to the others, it's still obscure. Um, and w- one of my favorite things was, you know, hiking the Panorama Trail in Yosemite and the Mist Trail was amazing. Me and the other 400 people doing it that day. Okay. <laughs> and their strollers. Right. <laughs> yeah. And all of the buses unloading at Bridges National Monument and Arches National Park, unloading their tourists, doing their caravans. I wasn't seeing anything that was terribly unique. It was unique to me for the moment, but I wanted to be a little bit further away and enjoy nature. And so what I like most about canyoneering is the fact that I get to go someplace that only frogs and birds get to go. And us. That's actually an answer that a lot of people give about about what draws them specifically to canyoneering. And then a lot of other people say it's the exploratory aspect and then it's the combination of all the different sp- it's kind of a kind of combines a lot of sports into one, which can be really cool if you like a lot of things and you don't want to have, like you said, separate pieces of gear for all of those things. Yeah, I get I get bored easy. I'm not ashamed of that. And um, canyoneering has never bored me. And it's probably because it's got so many um, disciplines involved. Hiking, wading, swimming, jumping, route finding, planning, rappelling, rescue, all these skills that keep my mind happy. So you collected all the canyoneering certifications, and then did you start the meetup while that was going on or after after you got certified? Um, I think I had just um, taken one course, a basic canyoneering course, and then I started the meetup group, and it took me a while to jump into taking all of the other relevant canyoneering courses in America. I think the way I found your meetup was kind of the way you found some of the other groups was... Um, I was aware of canyoneering. I had done it a couple of times with uh, with ATS, which was a company that used to offer offer guiding services in the in the LA area. And uh, I had a friend, Carl, who r- used to run this outdoor club that I was part of. And he was the only other person I knew that had any knowledge that we could use for canyoneering because I had been climbing for a little while at the time. We'd gone through canyons a couple of times. He was searching rescue, and we're like, okay, between the two of us. We can figure this out. So I started buying any kind of books, which there are not many books, and they are way outdated now. Uh, and so he and I just started doing Rubio and LSA and all these Eaton, all the recognized canyons in the area. And uh, and then we would bring friends of ours who were happy to go along, but we could, but there was they were not going to get into it and learn the things also. And then I, at some point I was like, man, I can't always just go with Carl because we can't always go at the same time. I need to see if other people do it. And it just so happened that your meetup had started not long before that. And now I know more people who canyoneer than any other activity that I want to do. Now it's actually harder to go climbing because so many people I know go canyoneering. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a, a kind of a curve on the meetup group. People join and then they hesitate to get training. And then we actually require training with a few exceptions for the meetup group because we want everyone to be equal and not people guiding other people. You know, we want them to all have canyoneering skills, not climbing skills, not search and rescue skills, not caving skills. We want them to have canyoneering skills so that people can check each other 
and so that people have expectations that can be met from their partners. And, um, and that has allowed the, the meetup group to, um, to allow a variety of members in. A lot of them will get the training and then some will actually get, uh, um, will give back to the meetup group by leading for a while, um, leading other rookies through. So the canyoneering training gets you the skills and the meetup group gets you the experience. Just to give a shout out to one of your members, Freddie is one of those who is really good about continuing to bring new people. And hey, that guy must add so many, <laughs> so many uh, events to the group. Yeah, members like Freddie and John Caffrey and and Alden used to do a lot with the meetup group, and it's members like that that are willing to to get rookies some experience that um, that really make the meetup group valuable because people get the training, and then they might not know enough people to get the experience. So when people like Freddie and and Alden and John Caffrey and I just can't. There's 30 members, 30 right, leaders yeah, yeah. on there, right? Um, Danielle Monroy just started and um, Yvonne. So I encourage people to lead rookies because we led them when they were rookies. Well, and one of the things, too, is those rookies become leaders. Like, for instance, you just named Yvonne, and I remember doing a canyon with her when it was maybe her third or fourth canyon. Yep. And now she has the knowledge to, to be a leader. As a matter of fact, in the short time she's been canyoneering, I would not be surprised if she's already surpassed like the number of canyons I've done in the entire time I've been doing it. So it is kind of amazing to watch how people get into it. And then I don't want to say it consumes them, but they become so active in it that they essentially become experts in a very short period of time. Yeah, <clears throat> I think Freddie um, found a home in canyoneering. He's told me that exactly, yeah. He's, he's different than when he joined. You know, he, he found a place where he can be himself, where he um, can mentor rookies, um, where he has respect because it was earned and not demanded. He's, he's just really found a home. Yeah, he's, he's told me a lot about how, how his life has changed just by getting into canyoneering, which is one of those things, and it's part of the reason I want to do this show is there's this, there's this idea in society that, number one, things like canyoneering are dangerous. Uh, you shouldn't do them because it's foolish. It's selfish. And I've seen so many people become better people and, become, and, and learn who they are because they get into these things. Because a lot of people, before they, they kind of fall in these traps of like, oh, I have to buy a lot of things. I'm going to prove my worth through what I, what I own and how much money I make. Because if I own a lot of things and I make a lot of money, then clearly I must be a valuable member of society. And I, I, don't, I don't know anyone who takes that path who ends up happy in the end or actually becomes a better person. Whereas I've seen plenty of people covered in mud, dirty for days, sleeping in a campground, eating junk that they have in the backpack. And they're sincerely happy, and they actually, as an individual, I feel like they have more to offer everyone else around them. And they're usually so goddamn helpful. Like people I meet and help in campgrounds and other places, they're usually so giving and usually pretty trustworthy. Of course, there's occasionally some weirdo who, who doesn't fit the bill. But for the most part, 
you're like, I just met you today, but I trust you with my life to do this activity. And I'll, and then from this point on, I trust you. And uh, I just don't think you get that so easily outside of these communities like this. I completely agree. I think that we, we work hard to get the same to get to the same mindset and to a, the same location that we, we lose all the things that, that we thought we were bringing into nature and nature ends up feeding us instead of us bringing our crap into the, the <laughs> wild. I think the wild fills us with what we really need. I've seen a lot of people too doing this and other things where they start and they're so scared and they're so unsure about themselves and then you watch them you watch them do something they never thought they were capable of doing. And then like they just get this intense satisfaction. Part of it's just like this joy. And then another part of it is just this sudden sense of confidence that they're like, yes, I can do this. And then I think that carries over into your life as well because you realize, well, if I could do this thing, I didn't ever even imagine was a thing I could do. Maybe I can do some of these other things as well. And so, I don't know, I think it's pretty damn valuable. <laughs> It's, it's empowering to understand nature and, and to, to um, explore it emotionally, intellectually, and physically. Tiny little story. I remember when I was heavier, okay? and I When you were in behemoth mode? I was behemoth mode, <laughs> right? Now I'm just jumbo mode, <laughs> right? Um, I remember uh, going to the Kern River and, and, uh, and seeing these, these potholes um, uh, that had been created by the swirling waters. And I wasn't a canyoneer or anything like that. But I just remember loving to explore, you know, once in a while when I would go out there and, and just climbing around the rocks. And I would never go in these these potholes because I would always think, well, how am I going to get out, right? And uh, the more I learned about nature and the more I explored, um, I became more courageous, right, and more competent. And I remember going and just jumping in these potholes and figuring out and just assuming that I could figure a way out because I had learned more. And even if I couldn't, there was somebody up on the rim who could help me. And so it gave me a lot of courage being out in nature and, and being afraid of it was not the answer. Yeah, the, I personally think one of the most dangerous things about our society is the constant giving in to fear. I, I feel like the purpose of humanity almost to a sense is to combat fear and overcome fear because it's the thing that holds us back and causes us to commit the worst atrocities to each other. So as a teacher, to move away from, from that philosophy, <laughs> you're, you're probably, I imagine you've got to see these changes in people very frequently because you watch them come into your class, they don't know anything. And then you, you watch them go through your courses, but then also, I don't know how often you get to go into canyons anymore, but I, I do know you still have events and things, uh, rendezvous, and so you probably get to see people in canyons then. Uh, how big a difference do you see in people from when they first come in and take a class to when you see them later in the field or, or whatever you want to call it? Even if we take out the later in the field part of that question, um, just from the beginning of a class to the end of a class, the change in them is, is huge. One moment, please. That may have been kind of serendipitous. So we stopped recording for a bit because someone stopped by, gave you a six-pack of beer and some thanks <laughs> and showed you some pictures and things. This is a person that you gave some advice about a local canyon called Eaton, right? 
Yeah, she just uh, stopped in one day. It was either her husband or a friend of hers. Um, um, couldn't give her all the advice she needed, and the advice he ended up giving her was, isn't there a store right by your house? Why don't you go see Klaus at Uber Adventures? He said, I've never taken a class or been there, but they're there, so why don't you stop in? She stopped in, I gave her advice, and she did Eaton last weekend and just stopped by to tell me that my advice made her trip uh, exciting, fun, and She seemed safe. very excited about it, yeah. 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 Which, as, as local canyons in the LA area go, Eaton is definitely at the top of the list among among the better and probably arguably the best, a lot of people would say. Yeah, I refer to it as our premier canyon. It's kind of the closest thing we have to a natural water park probably exactly. in the L.A. area. Jumps yeah. and slides yeah. and rappels. And, and nobody telling you you're not allowed to do them exactly. or that you have to do them in a certain way. Yeah. 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 Although there is a permit system now, so you do have to get a permit. So if you want to do Eaton, people, get a permit. <laughs> Don't go in there and screw it up for everybody else. <laughs> so we were talking about, prior to that, basically what you're seeing in students. People that come in, maybe a little, little worried at first, maybe right. a little scared, and that the way they change just yeah. in the course of a class. Yeah. They, they come in, everyone comes in a little bit afraid of heights, or a lot afraid of heights. And um, some people are, are, are more resistant to rappelling over the first repelling the first time over our not so small wall. Okay, it's a 55 foot wall is our first repel. And it's- Is it vertical or is it it's, sloping or? It's, it's pretty vertical. Okay. It's, it's probably at 80 degrees. So, so they, they can definitely, their weight is on the rope and there's no way they could climb without a, a repel or go up or down without a rope. So it's very vertical. No free hangs on the, on the first part of the day. And by the end of the day, they're um, pushing off of free hangs and loving the overhangs, and 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 they they have a new um, respect for the the height. And I don't think their fear is gone, but they have gained confidence in their gear and their skills, their and the advice and training that they got. I know I saw that. I, it's probably a couple of years ago now that I helped you out one day with one of your. Uh, one of your intro like repelling classes. And I remember seeing that. I can't remember her name, but there was one particular woman who wasn't terrified, but she was very uncomfortable with it. And by the end of the day, she was like kicking ass going down the wall and really enjoying it. Most improved. And that's, <laughs> you know, it's often kind of how it works. The people who at first you're like, I don't know about this person. And by the end, they're like star of the wall. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've committed, you know, intellectually to the class or they wouldn't be there. Right. But emotionally, they're not so committed right they've they've committed their 40 bucks or their 400 bucks depending on what class they're taking um but they're still not sure that they can do it and the way my instructors and and me as an instructor help them through this um they gain the confidence in themselves and in their gear and um their ability grows in front of our eyes do you think there is any particular demographic you see taking your classes, or do you think it runs the entire gamut? Um, it absolutely runs the entire gamut. We have everything from 10-year-olds to 60-year-olds. But I got to say, I think it's the just before middle-aged people. It's the 30s, 40s, 50s that are probably the ones that understand the value of training and the people who are in their 20s don't understand the value of training yet because they feel invincible. 
Although there are some exceptions, like Jake. There are exceptions. <laughs> Anyone who comes in for training, as opposed to just going out and trying it, they get better faster. I think, too, because I've, I've found that, that those ages pretty much correspond, too. And I do wonder if part of it is in your 20s, you're still trying to find a lover and you're trying to find your place in the world and you're trying to make a name for yourself or whatever. By the time you start hitting your 30s, your 40s, you're kind of looking for other things to fill out your life. You hopefully don't feel the need to prove yourself still as much. Like maybe you know who you are a little bit more. And so it seems like a time, because I think this is true with a lot of sports because a lot of like endurance runners, all the great endurance runners, right? They're all over 40 or 50 or something. It's kind of like that's kind of the point of the life where you're like, hey, I can focus on things that aren't building a career, trying to get laid or whatever at that point. You can look at bigger things than just those those direct things. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's when we're looking for ways and what you said, rounding out your life, I think is exactly what it is. You know, I was, you know, I enjoyed my work at the time. You know, I actually enjoyed television at the time, but uh, <laughs> I, I still enjoy television. Just but, in uh, the smaller doses. It's, it's more balanced, right? <laughs> and so uh, canyoneering has, has kind of taken over my life and, uh, and now I'm seeking balance away from canyoneering because it became a little unbalanced right so now i'm i'm looking at vacations that don't involve canyoneering you were mentioning one to me before we started recording that sounded pretty sweet do you want to talk about that one a little bit sure you know almost all of my free time away from the store away from training is offering canyon descents for rookies or with my friends um, private trips. And recently I've decided that I can't, I don't want to canyoneer every day, right? I want it to be special. And the more I do it, the more often I do it, the less special it gets because there's nothing else to balance out how special it is. And I would imagine there's a danger of it starting to feel like work at times too. It does. Even playing feels like work when your work is canyoneering. So I'm try, I've been trying to find some balance. And so I have just um, signed up for a two-week sailing vacation through the Grenadines from Granada to St. Lucia on a, on a sailboat. And I'm looking very forward to, uh, to swimming between islands and snorkeling and... and uh, Sitting around in a Speedo all day. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking rum swizzles and... <laughs> So I'm looking very forward to adding a little bit of diversity to my free time. And anything else like that you've been hopping into lately? Anything outside of canyoneering or sailing trips? The thing that I, I the only thing I like more than teaching canyoneering is getting new training. And I like teaching canyoneering more than I like canyoneering. And and I like canyoneering a lot. Right? <laughs> well, then I guess that is good. Because yeah. it would be very unfortunate if you built a business around something you hated. <laughs> yeah. So some of the things that I like um, about canyoneering is how remote the places are. And I've really started enjoying just road trips, just driving around and, and looking at the, the beauty of our country. Have you seen this uh, link that's been going all over the Internet last few months? It's supposed to be the like the most efficient, perfect American road trip. Have you seen that? No. You should look that up. Yeah. I don't know how accurate it is. It's it's allegedly, and I'm quoting in the air right now, scientific. <laughs> like apparently some scientists 
figured out what is the most efficient way to go through all 48 contiguous states and visit like the national monuments and national parks and things in the in the fewest miles. So you should look that up. That might be a potential road trip opportunity for the future. I've, I've kind of been curious about it now. How to see America in three weeks? <laughs> Actually, I think, I think it's like three months. Oh, okay, but yeah, it's it's 16,000 miles or something. Yeah, but, it, but it's made so that you can start from any major city and then just follow the <laughs> loop all the way around. You should look it up. Maybe it's your future. I think I could go to Utah every every weekend and be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something about North Carolina or Missouri you just don't know that you love yet. Could be. I guess what we'll talk about now is when you started teaching people, before then you were going to this local crag called Stony Point, right? That's where most of your classes were held? Yep. And now you have a store near Stony Point, which is a store and also a classroom, right? Yep. How'd that come about? Um, <laughs> in, in the easiest way you can explain right. that. So... I've uh, I've been working full time forever. I started teaching on the weekends once in a while, canyoneering, and I started teaching more and more and more until it seemed like I didn't have any free time. And I had built enough of a business uh, over a few years that I thought maybe I could stop being a handyman and and start only teaching and and making. Um, Uber Adventures, successful as both a retail outlet and as a, a school. And so I looked around for, and I was teaching out of parks, you know, and teaching at parks. And um, I always had to haul. I know Scott Merrill took one of your early classes <laughs> back when you would have people meet and stay in uh, Griffith, Park. Griffith Park. And he said he was a little unsure. He's like, I'm here in the middle of the night and we could meet a bunch of people I don't know. He was a little creeped out, but then it turned out to be great. Yeah. So having having the store, opening the store added some legitimacy to, to, to the business. Um, I couldn't uh, justify running a classroom from my home. Um, and, uh, having it in parks seemed, um, um, reasonable since it was an outdoor sport. Um, but having uh, a location now, uh, has, has made it possible that I don't ever have to reschedule a class because if, if we get rained out or winded out, wind has canceled more classes in Southern California than rain. Um, we come back to the classroom, wait for, and learn and do the best we can and wait for the weather to clear up and then go out and practice what we learned. So the having the classroom has really helped the classes um, not get canceled. Is that how your classes typically work now, that they jump back and forth from the classroom here at the store to Stony Point, just right down the street? Not really. No? Nope. Our basic classes, uh, our, our rappel workshops are entirely on rock, can't be done without a rock, okay? And our, our technical canyoneering courses, Friday night, which used to be the Friday night portion in Griffith Park, <laughs> is now in the classroom. Um, and it's a lot easier for me because I don't have to haul the gear and all the whiteboards and all this stuff to a park, and people don't have to try and find me in the middle of a park somewhere. And, and you bring, don't have the, the faux hawk anymore to, to make you stand up. <laughs> and lamps and lanterns, you know, and raccoons above us and mosquitoes. <laughs> and so it's very much, it's much more comfortable and people actually get a chance to get to know each other a little bit because it's a more efficient uh, way to have our Friday night portion of the class. But all day Saturday and all day Sunday are outside unless there's a problem. And uh, we can teach half of Sunday in the classroom and we can teach half of Saturday in a classroom 
if we have if we don't get the wall we want and if we uh, run into weather so right now it is a store that sells items and it's also a classroom do you have any future plans for it that you're willing to share for the store for this location are there other things you intend to do in this space that you've been thinking about well when i first took the store i was very specifically interested in it being a canyoneering store and a canyoneering classroom and the home for the uber adventures offices and all that sort of thing I anticipated getting into canyoneering guiding, which turns out to be very difficult, so I've dropped, I've lost interest in that pursuit. When I realized how much money I was paying in rent for a business that was the same business that I had before I was paying rent, so the rent didn't actually increase my income at all, just took away thousands of dollars every month in, in expense. Um, I decided I was going to try and expand the offerings uh, so that the classroom would pay for itself, and I've since decided against that. I've uh, decided that I want to stay canyoneering. I want to stay in the blue ocean of this industry and not into the red ocean of, of all of the other sports that are already being offered by dozens and dozens of other organizations. This one isn't being offered locally by, by anyone else that's, that's relevant. Sorry, ATS. Um. Well, I, I don't think they offer it anymore, period. So I think they've mostly moved into rigging for TV shows and movies. I mean, correct me if you know otherwise, but I don't think they offer canyoneering at all anymore. I haven't been on their site this year. I usually try to look at everybody's site during the year to make sure that I'm staying relevant and, and see who the uh, players are in the industry and what the skills lists are and the price points and that sort of thing. But I actually haven't been on ATS's site this year. So I, I don't know for sure that they're not offering it or that they are, but they claim last year to have been offering it in Oregon, in in Utah, in Los, An Los Angeles in Northern California, all these canyoneering courses. And I don't know if they are or if they're not, but you're completely correct in that they have moved their primary focus absolutely into rigging for, for movies and TV shows and, and, and private events and stuff like that. I hear that you are going to possibly do things like slideshows and things like that here. Huh. Is that? Yeah. So sticking with the canyoneering theme, right? The store sells predominantly canyoneering gear and the classes we hold here are primarily canyoneering technical skills. Um, we've, we have decided to offer two more classes, wilderness first aid, which I think is relevant to any outdoor sport. And because of how far into remote places canyoneers get super relevant for canyoneers. Um, we also are adding map and compass navigation. Um, last thing you want to do is not be able to find your car at the end of the day or drop into the wrong canyon. So we're adding those wilderness skills to our curriculum. Yeah, um, dropping into the wrong canyon could end very badly, yeah. <laughs> especially if you, you're like, oh, the longest drop is going to be 60 feet, and then you drop into a canyon with a 400-foot drop. In order to keep the canyoneering, to build the canyoneering community, we don't want to just sell classes. We believe in selling classes, we believe in people getting training, but we also believe that we need to offer the recreational opportunities for them, get them experience, recreational opportunities other places with the Uberfests, and local community events for canyoneers. And even if it's just once a month, we have in the store um, a uh, someone, a SAR member or a sheriff coming in and talking about anything they know about canyoneering or rescue and how it affects their business and what they do specifically for us, or whether it's a ranger to talk about the history of the San Gabriels and, and how canyoneering you know, has, has played a part in, in accessing these places, 
or if it's just someone who went and did an awesome canyon that is is remote that most of us haven't gotten to see who comes and gives us a, sh- a slideshow and shows us where they've been and what the potential is for our sport. So I want to have a social event regularly. So that's one of the things that Uber Adventures is going to do locally. Yeah, and I, I have heard from multiple people where they've said, you know, caving communities, they have a grotto. It gets together once a month, whatever, and they do exactly that. They have slideshows and yep. presentations. And then I've heard people say, I wish Canyoneering had something like that. And so it sounds like you you do want to work towards having something like that here at the store. I absolutely do. And having been to some grotto meetings, I thought it was really neat to sit in uh, and see somebody's slideshow of a cave or a mine they explored, um, uh, to have a little bit of technical talk, um, Q&A uh, that's relevant to the sport, uh, and then just a mixer so that you can socialize and, and meet other people that you might not have met in a canyon. I foresee a canyoneering uh, film festival in the not far future. For the longest time, there weren't really any, there's not really anyone shooting canyons because it's, it's kind of a pain. Like a lot of the canyons are wet. It's hard to bring gear through. But now with GoPros and then people like Jake who come up with clever ways to <laughs> to carry a lot of gear and a huge pelican case or a canyon, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more interesting canyoneering films. And so maybe you'll have the early canyoneering film festival here before it blows up like a real rock or <laughs> bamf or something like that. That would be cool. <laughs> I'm interested in, in doing anything that builds a well-trained and close-knit canyoneering community. All right, that's probably a good spot to stop it unless you've got anything you want to talk about that, that we haven't hit. I think we've covered a lot. I have, I have nothing exciting to say. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, let's end on that. that was informative, intriguing, interesting, whatever I word you want to use, hopefully not insipid. Go by uberadventures.net if you want to check up and see what Klaus is up to, see what's going on with his business. You can also go to his meetup page, which is meetup.com slash canyoneering. If you're in the area and you want to join a canyoneering meetup group or get into canyoneering, get instruction. I do know that Uber Presents, which is the community-oriented night he discussed, He has started doing those. The next one is September 9th. It features a local Scott Sweeney who has done a lot of first descents, which means he's the first person to have explored some of the canyons and Death Valley. He's also going to be on the show September 10th, talking about that amongst other things. If you are new to canyoneering, you just listen to this episode, maybe you just got introduced to it for the first time and you're like, hey, Jason, I don't live in Southern California. I'm not going to Southern California. I'd like to get into canyoneering, but obviously I'm not going to make it over to Uber Adventures. There are lots of other places. If you're in Utah, you're really in luck. There's lots of canyoneering there. There's the ACA, the American Canyoneering Academy. There's Canyoneering USA, which is run by Tom Jones. Uh, There are a number of other organizations out there that I'm not familiar with. I am familiar with those two. There are also organizations all over the U.S. If you do a search online you're likely to find something near you unless you live somewhere where there are no mountains, no rivers. In that case, I can't really help you. 
uh, go on vacation somewhere and go canyoneering with some group in Costa Rica or somewhere like that and give it a try. Or, you know, travel to the West. We got lots of canyons here all the way from Colorado to Washington and everywhere in between. Uh, one group I would like to mention is the CAC, Coalition of American Canyoneers. I definitely recommend going there to their site, which is americancanyoneers.org. They're a nonprofit group that tries to help maintain access to canyoneering routes. They deal with landowners, they deal with whoever they need to talk to to try to keep access to lands open for those of us who want to use it for recreational purposes. It's free to join. It's a good group, it keeps you informed, and it helps us keep canyoneering routes open. So CAC, AmericanCanyoneers.org. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you want to hear more. If you tune in next time, you'll get to hear me talk to Severia Tilden. She works for REI School. She's a backpacker. She works with the American Hiking Society. She's done multiple Ironman. She works with the Sierra Club. She's really busy in the outdoor community. So if you tune in, you'll get to listen to she and I sitting in the rain talking about what she does outside. That's going to be on the next episode, episode three. In the meantime, you can go to our website. It is gogetoutside.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to everything we talked about in the show. Maybe a few pictures of Klaus and other canyoneers. A link to the video I mentioned. And while you're at it, while you're on the internet, if you want to do the show a favor, I'm going to ask that annoying thing that every podcast asks now. Go on iTunes or wherever you listen to this. Leave a rating, leave a review. I'm not asking for a five-star review. Just leave me an honest review and honest feedback, and I'll try to incorporate it into future shows. If you want to contact me or anyone else here at the show, you can email us at go at butcherbirdstudios.com. That's going to be it for this show. Tune in next time and hear me talk with Severia Tilden. All right, see you next time.